Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast series here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of the channel, and today we'll be talking to Sarah Garenaday, who is a fourth-year PhD student at UCSB studying groundwater. And today we're talking about pandemic perspectives from the student view. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi. Uh, yes, I'm Sarah Garande. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. I came out here to uh, Southern California to study groundwater. Particularly, I'm interested in using reclaimed water to recharge aquifers and how we can make sure that we balance uh, the uh, supply and quality questions so that everybody's got a good, safe water supply. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. What led you to want to study that? And what, um, what is your, your original academic background, where you went to school, and how you got ready to launch into a PhD program? So I did my undergraduate at Rice University in Texas in the Earth Science Department geology track. There wasn't a whole lot of hydrology there, but I did a summer internship in the uh, SULI program by the Department of Energy at uh, Argonne National Lab near Chicago. A tiny, tiny, tiny subsection of the lab that I worked in specialized in going to former USDA grain storage sites where they had spilled fumigants back in the 80s, uh, sort of pesticides they'd try to like spray to get the rats and the bugs out of the grain. And of course, it turns out it caused cancer. And the biggest problem was always when it got into the groundwater, because then it could sort of migrate anywhere. So my little lab section would go and try to figure out novel ways of remediating that. So that's kind of what got me interested in groundwater hydrology. And so what led you from Rice to UCSB? How did you choose your school? Were you just excited about Santa Barbara? So my undergrad advisor, I was working on a senior thesis with, uh, had some connections out here. Turns out that he was the very first PhD student of a professor who had fairly recently moved out here. And so he had recommended that I apply here. I was uh, offered a fellowship and uh, decided that it would be a good idea to uh, take advantage of that. And so you were here for about three years before the pandemic hit. Is that right? That's correct. So can you take us back to a year ago, what a typical day for Sarah at school was like? Uh, So a year ago, I was uh, still trying to uh, get some some coursework in, especially since, like I said, my undergrad background was more solid rock and sediment focused, less water focused. Um, So fair bit of that's trying to, to learn what else there was to learn. And uh, I was on a fellowship year then, so that the fellowship I got it kicks in every other year. And so this year I'm having to, uh, to TA for my funding. And last year you didn't TA. That's correct. And so last year, this time, were things still open? Were you all still face to face or were you starting to look around as scientists? You maybe had a leg up on the rest of us and think, oh, we got to start shutting down. Um, so in January, things were still pretty much as normal. Uh, 
can't recall exactly when we finally closed. I think it was very beginning of March, perhaps. Uh, that was actually right around when I had my qualifying exam. It was the last thing I did on campus besides cleaning up the lab so we could shut everything down. And so when everything shut down, were, were you one of the people who moved? Were you one of the people who stayed but still started doing work remotely? So you were sort of on campus but not really on campus? What, what were the shifts that you had to make? So I was living in a house off campus then, and I stayed there until my lease ran out in September. And uh, then I moved to a different house with uh, where some of my friends were. And uh, they also had a dog. Dog was nice. At my last house, I had uh, started naming the spiders in my room because I was tired of not having any pets and not seeing anybody else, I guess. Um, so that was a, a helpful shift. I kind of think actually the, you know, the students have a lot of things that they have to deal with that are pretty tough during times like this. But one thing that for some students I think is good is that we're one of the most likely demographics to live with other people our age. So we have a little bit of built-in company that we might not otherwise have. And some of you have pets who aren't and spiders. Some of us have pets who are not spiders. I'm a big fan of pets in the student life. I actually largely chose my college because it had a very liberal pet policy. Um, and that was before people were actually saying terms like pet therapy, but I firmly believe in the therapeutic quality of pets. So when things shut down, did you have any sense of the longevity of, of that situation? Did you feel like it was really temporary or have you just been sort of going day to day? I feel like I've been going pretty much day to day. I know it seemed like there was sort of an impression that, uh, well, after after the end of the summer, we'll be back. And I guess that was maybe some optimism. And also I kind of suspect a little bit of, it seems more normal to be sort of away during the summer. And so everybody was hoping that, well, when it gets back to the time that we normally go back, we'll go back, of course, but we didn't. <laughs> so I, I figure I'm, I'm just waiting to see. And my assumption is I will be at home until told otherwise by reputable health authorities. So you're not expecting things to open up for you this semester? Definitely not this, uh, we're on the quarter system, so it definitely won't be this quarter. I know there have been some talks of trying to do in-person classes for the spring quarter. And uh, if you're teaching a class that like, you know, needs field work or work in an actual lab, I know a lot of people are antsy to do that since most of my work is stuff that I can do at home. I'm not exactly content, but I, I feel like it's good for me to remain here until there's a better reason to not. So it sounds like some of the core pieces for you have stayed the same as far as being able to live with uh, fellow like-minded people, having stable housing, even though you've had to shift housing, it was from stable housing to stable housing situation. You've stayed in the relative same geographic area, you've maintained the proximity to school. So when it opens, you're well poised for that. Uh, your work, your work has transitioned well enough to you being able to continue with it, despite not being able to go out in the field, not being able to be in the lab. 
what what places though for you have become deficits? Uh, well, for a while, uh, I was dealing with some very bad internet connections, losing my connection maybe twenty times a day. I was uh, hosting my uh, virtual TA sections for the for the classes that I was helping with in a tent in the backyard because that was actually closer to the router than my normal desk. Um, that's been pretty well resolved. Another thing is that it's just a lot more difficult to keep in touch with uh, sort of team members or uh, faculty on my committee who I might otherwise be able to see in the hall or just go to their office and say like, hey, we need to discuss this thing. Now it's a lot more, I must wait for this person check their email and remember that they were going to respond to me, you know. And does it affect your ability to network with more senior scholars who, as you go along in your degree, you would more naturally want to have opportunities to meet them, whether it's at a conference or because they're a guest speaker or in in the myriad ways we had when things were open, do you foresee sort of mentoring gaps? I think so. There have been a lot of virtual events. You know, the, the speaker comes and talks over Zoom. I uh, actually went to a, went, <laughs> attended a virtual conference earlier this year. But of course, that was very much a, in your scheduled slot, you will talk. And then you will watch other people talk in their scheduled slot. There wasn't a lot of conversations outside of, maybe a brief question answer session. So it sounds like fellowship is reduced. It is. And is there a unforced way to to regain that? Or are you sort of stuck with sending cold emails and hoping someone reads them? Um, there's a, a lot of emailing, occasionally phone calls. Uh, I know in my department, we would have a guest speaker every week, and the traditional way would be that they would come to the department, spend the day there, people would sign up in like just little slots to meet with them. And so we have at least been able to transition that to Zoom. So everybody gets an appointment who wants one to talk. Uh, that's a, a little bit of nice pseudo face to face communication with new people. How is Zoom fatigue affecting you? Um, it's annoying. It also, I guess, I feel somewhat less compelled to be paying close attention to something that's happening on my computer. And or I feel a bit lazy if I'm just watching a video. So I think that I need to be doing something else at the same time, which makes it harder for me to pay attention to what it is I'm actually supposed to be observing. You mentioned that your funding has this sort of alternating component where one year is the fellowship year and the next year is the TA year. And that this year had the unfortunate timing that just when everything shut down, you're meant to be TAing. How is that working for you? And what's your sense of how it's working for your students? Uh, I think it's working as well as it can. Um, There are difficulties with like I mentioned, my internet connection, or sometimes my students have a, a hard time getting online or you know finding a good place to uh, to be when they're trying to to watch a lecture or attend a section. 
and uh, sometimes it's uh, a little more difficulty to try to arrange, like, you know, office hours where you can't just literally be sitting in your office for students to arrive if they need to. It's a lot more work with sort of figuring out digital formats that just takes up time that you could use for other things. It seems like one of the things I'm hearing is that there has to be an effort to intentionality that there didn't have to be before. You could drop in for office hours. You could see the guest speaker during the day and learn a lot through just observation and being on site. You could go to the lab. And now there's a lot of intentionality of a lot of very deliberate choices. And it seems that there may be people who have a greater natural skill for that and people who don't. Have you noticed that with your students or in yourself? I don't know if there's a greater natural skill, but definitely anyone who is used to doing more things digitally before was in a much better place than people who did everything in person or on paper. So a learned skill. Yeah. And for you, can you talk about lab access, field trips? What happens with those gaps now and will those be filled later? Do you see a plan to give people longer to, f- to fill that back in? Or is there a way to go forward without those more traditional ways of doing science? So fairly early on, there was some acknowledgement that some people would still need to go to their labs, say, if their, uh, you know, the, the radioactive source on their machine needed to be maintained so that it wouldn't be destroyed or that their uh, their cell lines needed taken care of so that their cultures wouldn't die. Um, but everybody else was expected to stay home. And later they started granting like a few more waivers for uh, people whose research was time sensitive. And uh, I actually do have a waiver so that I could go to my lab if I needed to. But uh, since we haven't had a field season recently. Um, I don't have any new samples that I need to do anything to. Um, so all my data is pre-existing right now. Uh, I've actually, it's been a bit interesting for teaching field trips instead of actually taking them places. We've been using a lot of Google Earth Pro, which is not really the same, but it is it does have an interesting aspect where you can just open it up and go anywhere and then, uh, you know, pull out the, uh, the little time slider, see how the site's changed over time. It's a handy tool, I guess. Not really the same. For your program yourself, are you hoping that they're going to offer some kind of degree extension or extension to funding? Because it would seem for PhD students, your timeline has become precarious for, through no fault of your own. It has gotten a lot more precarious. Uh, the university has uh, announced that they will allow students to add a year to their traditional timeline. So in my department, that uh, is, it's expected that we take five years for a PhD, which is when my current funding will run out. We would be allowed to take six. Um, and in theory, the still eligible for funding if it is available. However, if you don't have a grant or a fellowship, uh, which I would not, 
most likely, unless I found a new one to apply to. Uh, there is a cap on how many total quarters you can TA, and that so far has not been extended. So if you've already been TAing your whole time, you would not be able to do that while taking an additional year. You'd have to find some other funding source or, you know, take on a part-time job. That sounds really scary. It's kind of unnerving. I mean, my background is in humanities and TAing is pretty much the accepted thing you're going to do if you get a fellowship. We all expect that. And for that to count against you, um, if you need to go longer, sorry, I was going to say, it just seems flabbergasting because the ability to teach is a crucial part of, at least in humanities, of processing knowledge and really upping your own intellectual gain, your theoretical framework. It makes you better at what you do when you can explain it to others. Yeah, it's you, true. We're, if, uh, you know, if, if you learn something, you discover something that might be interesting for you, but uh, generally our goal is to share it with everybody else. So yeah, that, that communication pro, uh, component is pretty essential. And yet it sounds like people who have been doing their uh, funding by being a TA are the ones who are going to have their options to extend their degree the most limited. Uh, yes, people who have already TA'd their maximum allotment. Also international students um, because uh, they are not eligible for residential tuition. Normally, uh, especially once you've advanced to candidacy, they'll they'll waive that extra tuition, but uh, there's also a time limit on that, and it's not currently clear whether that's going to be something that an international student who's forced to take more time will be able to continue to benefit from. Our union, the uh, UAW 2865, has been working a lot on trying to get an extension to the uh, non-residential supplemental tuition coverage. Um, but as of right now, it's still up in the air as well. I'm just thinking about the knowledge that would be lost if they don't get that sorted out for all of you to have come so far and then for people to risk being able to get that that actual PhD degree for something really that's a bureaucratic issue. Uh, it's, 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 it's yet another inequity that the pandemic has laid bare, right? Just these policies, when they come to light, we, we find out not everyone's funding is the same. Not everyone's ability to stay in their program is the same. And often it has nothing to do with what we think of as the meritocracy. It, it has to do with bureaucratic stuff that the student themselves isn't able to change. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really caused a lot, of, a lot of grievance, I think. So how do you take care of your mental well-being? in a time like this where school is for you going well enough, but definitely not what you pictured when you uh, accepted the offer and moved out here. And you're aware of stresses on your colleagues, you know, your fellow students as well. How do you take care of your mental well-being, and how do you persevere in such uncertainty? Um, so I have uh, to some extent been 
trying to use the, uh, the university counseling center's uh, virtual options. It's, I guess, better than nothing. I think having semi-recently moved to a house where there are more people I'm kind of close with is uh, very helpful, though uh, I, I kind of joke that it's been killing my productivity because I don't just want to hide inside my room and work the whole time. I can actually emerge and there are friends and there's a dog. Um, that's very helpful. We, we're also in a pretty good place for, you know, being able to go out and go for a hike or a bike ride or go to the beach. And that's always nice. I'm just trying to keep in touch with the, the people that I don't see to the best of my abilities. <laughs> so how do you stay engaged with and motivated in your work? Um, a lot of it is just habit. I know that, uh, you know, when I, once I've gotten up in the morning and got my breakfast and all that is time to go to work. So I will do whatever work it is that I can get done and then I'll see what I did, <laughs> see what I need to do the next day. Uh, I do have been trying to meet with members of my committee so we can of plan out like okay what what do i need to do next what are the steps that are needed for me to keep making progress and that's really important because uh if you don't have a plan you might end up just kind of flailing at something that isn't actually important when uh, there are other things that you could do that would be uh have a a much better payoff (laughs) i know that you care about injustice and creating a more just world. How is the current political unrest and social unrest, how is that weighing on you? Uh, it, it is pretty concerning. Um, I guess over the summer when, uh, when it seemed like everybody was part of some kind of movement, um, I did try to be involved in more sort of organizing, mobilizing protest kind of activities. Actually, just just before everything went weird and pandemic-y, a lot of the grad, graduate students throughout the UC system were trying to, um, to secure a cost of living adjustment from the university because uh, it's a, a little bit sad if you Everybody is rent burdened. If you look at the uh, the university's cost of attendance calculator, um, what they calculate is more than what they pay us. Um, and uh, that also comes down very hard on some people. I'm fortunate enough to uh, potentially have enough in savings that I'm not particularly precarious. But I'll admit I've been burning out on a lot of things such that uh, most of the time I'm just staying home and doing whatever seems like my business. There was, um, I think it actually was through the cost of living adjustment movement. I uh, somehow got put in touch with people at the uh, the food bank of Santa Barbara. And uh, so for uh, most of last year, I was helping them deliver uh, like boxes of food and bags of produce and stuff to anybody at home who uh, was needing food and also that uh, so they wouldn't have to be 
going out as much during the pandemic. And they had a, a good, pretty contactless way of doing that. So it felt helpful and safe. They've kind of changed their model now. So that particular program isn't the same, but they do still have help available for pretty much anybody who needs it. What do you hope listeners will take away as you're sharing your pandemic perspective and they're at home wherever they are quarantining or whether they're listening as their part of the world is reopening uh, and they are also students who have gone through the pandemic? What do you hope that they will take away from your story? Um, I guess that uh, as weird and chaotic and uh, stressful a time that they're going through that basically a lot of other people are doing that too. And so they're not so alone in their experience, even if unfortunately they may or may not be alone in their homes or what used to be their social circle, you know, a little bit of vicarious connection at least. (laughs) Yeah. You're all in some ways alone, but you're all in it together. Yeah, I guess you could say that. What do you hope this conversation sparks? Um, I guess maybe people who are not students, kind of a greater understanding of just what the situation is like for people who are maybe It'll just help them to examine their own situation and see what things are working for them and what they might actually have the ability to change. And in the few minutes we have left, do you have a top piece of advice for listeners? I'd say um, try to avoid falling into sort of a rut of doing whatever is the easiest and the least effort because especially in times like this, the things that uh, will really keep you going may require more effort and they are even more worthwhile, I think, than they used to because of the scarcity. Thank you so much for being here today, Sarah. Yeah, I'm thank Dr. you. Chris- Oh, you're welcome. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler. You've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. Please join us again.